Well, tonight uh, we are talking about the area of the Spirit, but I want to talk to you about something that is very specific to our spiritual world, our spiritual life. Um, I think it's actually one of the funniest things in the world. It's like an inside joke that I have with God that only God and I truly understand the humor of that I'm here tonight to preach a message around the gospel and talk to you about the power of the Spirit of God transforming the human spirit. Uh, I find that absolutely stunning sometimes. I'm still struck by the wonder of it because um, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't looking to live a life of faith. Um, I had an encounter with Jesus in 1993 when I was 20 years old. And it changed my life forever. I was an alcoholic, drug addict. I was, a, uh, I was messed up. I was a deeply um, a troubled young man. At the time, I would never have told people that. I was you know, quite secure and strong in myself. But um, it was in 1993 that my life was changed and transformed with an encounter with God. If God can transform my life, I'm convinced he can transform anyone's life. And, and, uh, and something so deeply shifted in my life. So it's actually a bit of an inside joke between God and I about how funny it is that I would be here to preach this message and share this message uh, to this incredible church because um, uh, it, it in itself is, is such a huge shift in my life. Um, you know, uh, when looking at this whole area of spirit, I had such a radical shift as a 20-year-old when I came to Christ and came to faith. My spirit was so transformed that the one thing I needed to know is Christ. I just had to know him. I wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I just had a passion to know him. And so within 12 months, um, I was at Bible college. I did three years studying theology in Bible college and and uh, I just had a hunger and a thirst to grow. And it was, I, I had no idea about ministry. I didn't go to Bible college for ministry. I, I went to Bible college because I just had to know Christ. I just really wanted to know who God was. And I thought, no matter what I went on to do, at least I would have something as eternal and timeless as Christ and get my foundations right. And so over the years, um, I've had that hunger and thirst for theology and uh, over the years, I've lectured in Bible colleges. I've helped write courses for Bible college. And so when talking about body, soul, spirit, tonight, I could, have turn, I could turn this into a lecture. We could have a lecture and talk about the, what is known theologically as the trichotomy of man, uh, the, the ontological structure of man. We can contrast it with dichotomy and monism and all this kind of stuff, which I'm, I'm sure you guys would just be hanging on every word to hear all about it. I mean, and I would love to do it. I, I would come out looking very theological, however that looks. It would probably include carpet slippers and my smoking jacket and my pipe. <laughs> Jolly good show. Do you guys smoke here? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sorry, it might be an edge thing. The pipe thing might be an edge thing. Um, I, know you guys <laughs> I know you guys have done the, the beer and boxing. I thought maybe, you know, we don't do beer and boxing at Edge Church. We do pipes and pasta. So, uh, but, uh, <laughs> I'm only joking. We stopped having pasta for high carbs, but... but <laughs> if we ever got together for an event, it'd be crazy. But so look, I, I, so I could I could have the theological discussion, and we could talk about the intricacies of of body, soul, spirit, and how they interrelate. Um, and yet, I don't want us to just know about spirit. 
tonight I want us to experience something about spirit. You see, your spirit is the sacred part of you that responds to spiritual stimulus. Each and every one of us here tonight has a thin memory trace. There's there's something, whether you realize it or not, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, every single person here, there's something that you're trying to remember, there's something you're trying to recall, and it's a memory trace that goes all the way back to the garden. And in the genetics of your genesis, in the creation fingerprint image of God of which you were created in, you're trying to remember something. You're trying to remember that you are more than a body. And you're more than a soul. You're more than mind, will, and emotions. You're more than a personality. You are a spirit. God breathed life into you. You are a living being. There's, there's something supernatural about you. There's something deeply spiritual about you. And you respond to spiritual stimulus. There's the, the deep calls to deep, spirit calls to spirit, the Bible says. And so the thing that you need so deeply in your spirit is something your body can't give you. What you deeply need in your spirit is something that your soul can't give you. What you deeply need in your spirit is only what the Spirit of God can give you. And that's something we need to experience. I don't want to just preach about Him. I don't want to talk about Him. I believe that tonight people are going to experience something of the power and the presence of God in your life. And this is where the, body, the book of Romans says that our bodies are dead to sin, but, but they are alive. They, the, our spirit is alive to Christ Jesus. There's something regenerative, something powerful and life-giving about our encounter with Jesus. And so tonight, the one thing that I really want to talk about is the thing that our spirit comes alive to. The greatest spiritual stimulus for your spirit is the power of the gospel is the power of the gospel. It's what God did to bring you back and to awaken you, awaken you to the memory trace that goes back to the garden that you are a child of God and that is what we are. Uh, I've got to talk to you about the gospel and it's important to understand the gospel is this, uh, this good news and, and it's important that when we talk about the gospel, the gospel isn't just for non-Christians or new Christians. We never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is our fuel. The gospel is our passion. The gospel will keep you running and chasing after God with great passion. The gospel is not the ABCs of our faith. The gospel is the A to Z of our faith. It's absolutely everything about our spiritual walk. It's fueled through the gospel. And so tonight I want to talk to you about the transforming love of God. The transforming love of God. You see, each and every one of us here are looking for a loving God. And we've got one. Whether you realize it or not, we're looking for a loving God. And the the shocking truth of the gospel is that we have one. I, I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know what you think of when you think of God. Maybe... I don't assume that we're all on the same page because we all come from such different backgrounds. You know, I came from, when I was very young, we were raised in a Catholic 
sort of setting. We went to a Catholic high school, uh, yeah, and we went to a Catholic primary school, actually, and I still remember uh, what that was like. And so that affected how I viewed God, because I viewed God as someone who was probably disinterested in me and most likely angry at me. Uh, we, went, um, we, went, uh, we grew up in a, a school, a, a, a Catholic school, where, that was run by nuns. And uh, they were nuns with guns. They were deadly nuns, man. I think it was an Al-Qaeda training camp down there. Those nuns had tattoos, more tattoos than Chris. And they're like, they're just, they're just mean. They were nasty. It was nothing like getting the cane from, the, from, a, from a nun with guns. And anyway, uh, uh, and so it actually, to think about it, it actually caused me to have a great sense of mystery about God. And the truth is, up until this moment where something happened in my spirit when I was 20 years old, I always viewed God as someone who ultimately wasn't happy with me. I struggled with Catholic guilt. because I never thought I could probably, I never thought I could accurately confess all of my sins. I remember sitting with Father Nee, my first confession. I was only like nine years old, trying to tell Father Nee. Now, Father, you've got to understand Father Nee. Now, Father Nee comes in. Uh, I'm in confession at his, um, his uh, lounge room and, and there's his, uh, his uh, white ox Rollies cigarettes on the table and his ashtray, I still remember the smell of it, his Johnny Walker on the mantelpiece and, um, and, uh, and here I am as a nine-year-old going, well, uh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I'm, I'm really angry at my sister and, uh, and, but I think uh, if God knew my sister, he would be angry at her too. Uh, you know, and... and uh, so it's always confusing as to how to deal with sin. And I always thought, I will never truly be able to deal with all my sin. How can I deal with all of my sin? Sin's just simply falling short of perfection, God's perfection. How will I ever keep up with it? I just considered it a, a ridiculous thought. So I don't know how you view God. Maybe you view God like some senile sort of uh, old man that's kind of semi, in semi-dementia and he's kind of up there, he's a benevolent old man, he's kind of, he's kind, but he's at such a distance that he doesn't really know what's going on in your life, doesn't understand what happened in your family, doesn't understand what broke your heart, doesn't understand the things that you're going through and he's just a, every now and then, I mean, he's there, but he's so far out there that it doesn't really relate to you, you know, every now and then if you called out to him in prayer, he might turn to you, but he's kind of got a little bit of dribble coming down his mouth and uh, he's not that really that interesting I don't know what you how you view God maybe you view God as someone who's angry someone who's mad at you someone who's out to get you maybe you maybe you think that because of the things in your life God wants to get even with you but the truth of the gospel is God's not out to get even with you God got even at the cross of Christ and that's why we need to come back to who God really is because when I go to the Bible I find that God defines himself as a consuming fire of incredible love God is a God of incredible love and he's a fire of love that burns away the, the ice and the coldness in our heart. That God's love is so penetrating and powerful that it can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. In fact, the Bible defines God and says God is love. God's love is transforming. Bible says that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And you say, well, there's this thing. No, no thing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So consistent and so persistent is His love for each and every one of us. You're looking for a loving God. You've got one. You've got one. Through the Bible, we find that there are many expressions of God's love. And the one thing that God consistently does is love imperfect people. It's probably the most freeing thing of all. (laughs) 
because you might be here tonight going, oh, God isn't going to love me because if, he knew, if you knew, Matt, what's going on in me, you know, God wouldn't love me. I'm so broken, so failed, God wouldn't love me. God gave up on loving me a long time ago. I've got to tell you something. You know, God's love is so faithful. That, that Here's the shocking truth. All God's ever had to love is imperfect people. For thousands of years, every single human on this planet, all God's ever had is imperfect people. And His love has never given up on one of them. And you can go from Genesis to Revelation and see a God who consistently loves imperfect people. And if God's never given up on an imperfect person in all of history, i got a sneaking suspicion that you're not about to break the tradition. right? He loves you. He deeply loves you. And that's so important for us to understand when it comes to experiencing the gospel. There's a problem in the way that we go through life. There's a riddle, a human riddle, that we will all be challenged with. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not here, you're all going to be challenged with this. And the human riddle, I guess, is that I am looking for a love that will never completely meet my needs. Every single person is looking for love that they will never truly find in people or things. You have such a thirst, such a desire. You deeply long to be loved. And you will go through life trying to eke out that love from people, things, or experiences. You will go through life and just hope against hope that you will get the love you need. And here's the other side of the riddle. We will never be able to love people the way that they so desperately need to be loved. No matter how hard you try to love them, no matter how much you give to them, for some people, there will never be enough love poured into them because we are cavernously thirsty for love because there's something in our spirit that we are desperately thirsty for that our body can't give us through love and our soul can't give us through love. It is the spiritual component of our life that's looking for spiritual stimulus. We're looking for the love that can only be found in God. So you'll go through life and go, maybe he's the one. I'm just looking for that one. And if I can just find the one, he completes me, right? And and then I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be satisfied. But until I get the one, I'm going to be so unhappy. Here's the thing. Uh, All of you guys who are single, right? And and you think as, as, as long as I can find the one, I'll be perfect. I'll be perfectly happy. And finally, I'll be at peace. Let me ask you a question. Do you, have you ever met a married person who's not happy? It's not a trick question. They are out there. That's not going to satisfy your soul. That's not the answer to your spirit. You know, and it's conditioned, hardwired into us. I think I've got two beautiful girls, you know, beautiful, beautiful kids, you know, nine and 11. But ever since, I can't even, I was talking to them today about it. And I was trying to ask them, when did Barbies come into our world? When did Barbies arrive at the Stevenson house? Because as far as I can remember, there were Barbies around. Now, someone, I don't know who introduced them. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, all right? That's my confession. But one day, this is how hardwired it is. Uh, My girls, probably when they were about three years old, Barbies entered into our house, and there was a whole gang of them, 
right? There was like 20 Barbies just rocked up in the Barbie dream car and the Barbie house, the Barbie spa bath, the Barbie sauna and all the Barbie stuff, right? And so everywhere you go, you stand, oh, just stood on a Barbie, stood on a Barbie. Oh, that's interesting. I end up sitting on the floor. What are we doing? Oh, okay, here I am. Here I am, a, a man that heading towards his 40s, still changing, changing Barbie clothes on Barbie dolls with my kids. And, and, and this is what happened. One day, I don't know who did it, but someone introduced a Ken to the whole pack, right? Ken just arrived. I'm like, who is this, right? Ken arrives, and this Ken, I don't know where this Ken came from because he had an Afro. It was Afro Ken. <laughs> And this massive 70s Afro, coolest Ken ever, really. And, and here comes Afro Ken, but all he's got is these denim, his denim cut-off shorts, right? So he's got his denim cut-off shorts. I walk, in, I, walk, I walk in the house one day, and there are all the Barbies lined up, all of them lined up in a row, and there's a wedding ceremony happening. And Ken's just walking down the aisle with his latest Barbie, right? And just heading down the aisle. And my kids are having this fantasy of the, the oh, look, that they're falling in love. They're falling in love. And they go down. He goes down the aisle with one Barbie and they get married. He goes back to the, goes down the aisle with another Barbie. It's Mormon Ken, right? It's like, he's all the way from Utah. Like, what's up with that? Ken's kids, they, those kids love all their mums, right? It's just, it's just all good. And, and, you know. and I'm like, where, how is this so hardwired into, into little kids? At this age, little kids are coming in, are coming in the bathroom, and there's Ken in the Barbie spa with all the Barbies, right? Just like living the dream. And the, the kids are going, oh, hey, hey, what you doing? And I'm going, you know what? If you ever meet a guy called Ken, do not bring him home, all right? If you, or anyone with an afro for that matter, right? Just don't, don't bother bringing them home. Hardwired in is a desire to receive love. Hardwired in us. And you know what? It'll, it'll never meet the need for your spirit to be loved by God. You will go through life and you will look for a love that you'll never fully get from people. They'll keep disappointing you and you'll keep getting frustrated and, and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll cry out sometimes, is it too much to ask to just find a man that will make me happy? The answer is, yes, it's too much to ask, right? He can't even make a sandwich, right? He can't, seriously. Can't even make the bed. He's not going to make you happy. He's not going to make you eternally happy. Let me put it that way. He's not going to be the answer. Let me put it another way. A woman it makes a really poor God. I mean, a woman makes a really poor God because she's never going to give you what God can give you. And you're never going to get through your body or through your soul what your spirit so desperately thirsts for. In fact, the truth of the matter is you're not going to get that love met by anything or any behavior, any comfort behavior, any form of addiction, any sort of abuse, any sort of substance abuse, escape mechanisms will never give you the peace that you're looking for in your soul. Money's not going to meet that need. Your house is never going to meet that need. And at the, at the end of the day, your friendships, your popularity, your body image, how beautiful you are, you go, oh man, I'm just so, you know, as long as I've got my good looks, as long as I've got my good looks, I'll be happy. As long as I've got my health, I'll be happy. Well, here's the problem. 
You're only ever going to be as secure as the thing that is at the center of your world. Because, because you put those things at the center of your world and you know what? You're only as safe as those things and none of those things are safe forever. Because people disappoint you. People fail you. People won't turn on you. People could be unfaithful to you. Uh, money, money. Oh, as long as I've got money, I've got everything. No, you're only as secure as the thing at the middle. And while you've got money right now, you're feeling pretty good. But one day you might not have that money. One day you might not have that job. One day you might not have that car. One day you might not have those. You know, you're saying, well, I got this. I got my beauty. I got my good looks. Well, one day things are going to sag. And you're only as secure as the thing that's at the center of your world. And there's one thing that can be trusted. One thing that your, your spirit is crying for, that your soul can't give you. And that's the transforming love of God. I want to talk to you about the transforming love of God. Uh, I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, otherwise uh, this will be on the screen. So Hosea is a small book. It's one of the minor prophets. So open the pages gently. He probably hasn't seen the light of day for many, time, many, many, many years. And so, uh, but one day when you're in heaven, you might meet Hosea. So it'd be good to know that, you know, hey, I understood what you wrote. And at least my wife the other day was saying, oh, you know, it reminds me of that Bible story. You know that, uh, what's the Bible story? And she goes, oh, you know, the one about um, Jose and Gomez, Jose and Gomez. And I'm like, Jose and Gomez, is that, so, is that a burrito bar? What is that, right? And she was talking about Hosea and Goma, right? So it's the Spanish Bible that she was talking about. So uh, Jose, <laughs> turn to Jose with your stretchy pants. Uh, Jose, chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, I don't know whether sermons have ratings or scriptures have ratings. This one might be PG. Um, it gets a little bit hot, but uh, if you've got problems with it, take it up with Jesus. Uh, it's in the Bible. Uh, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Then God ordered me, start all over, love your wife again, your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the people of Israel. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. So I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you're living with me. No more whoring. No more sleeping around. You're living with me and I'm living with you. I warned you, it's the sealed section of the Bible. It does get a little bit steamy in there. Uh, this message is a message about the transforming love of God. Hosea is one of the great um, minor prophets, and he came with such a powerful message. Like all of the prophets, when the prophets were called, they were called to present something of the character and nature of God. They would present a revelation of God. The book of Hosea starts how many other books of the Bible. It says, uh, you know, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, just like the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, or the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, or Obadiah, all these guys. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and Jonah ran the other way. Because sometimes when the word of the Lord came to the prophets, it was so stretching and so challenging 
that the message was often enacted through their life. I think about our young people and I think, man, God, I know God wants to raise up prophets in high schools and prophets in universities and people who are passionate to represent God. And the key to you being a prophet to your time and a prophet to your generation and to your school and to your university is simply understanding the character and nature of God. That will be your message to the community that you're in. Understanding the character and nature of God is the reason why we worship. In fact, when we worship, really, ultimately, what we're doing is we're glorifying God to God. God, you are amazing. And we sing about His character and nature. Young people, get a hunger for theology. Get a hunger for the character and nature of God, because that can be your message. Hosea, he was open, and the word of the Lord came to him, and he was shocked at what God asked him to do. The word of the Lord came to Hosea and spoke to him and said, if you're going to be a message about my character and my nature... I want you to go through something and experience something that I experience. The way I love people, I want you to experience how I love people. I want you to experience how my heart breaks and my heart aches to have a love that's a one-way direction love that doesn't seem to be returned. It seems to be rejected and betrayed. And so he says to Hosea, when the call of God came to Hosea, listen to this in Hosea 1 verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. You know, When God spoke to Hosea and said, I want you to go find someone, I want you to marry a prostitute, I'm sure Hosea would be shocked and stunned like we all would be. When we would say, well, that just doesn't make sense. And and it wouldn't be so much marry, God, sorry, marry who? It wouldn't be so much marry who as as marry a, a what? He says, no, I want you to go down Hindley Street. I want you to find a prostitute. And I want you to make her your bride. I want you to love her. Make a covenant with her, a covenant of marriage and bring her into your home and show her some incredible, uh, unrelenting love. And in a sense, what God was saying is, uh, you're going to experience my character and nature because you're going to love someone who will hurt you, break you. You're going to have children to her and the children are going to reject you. She'll have children to other men. And only then will you experience what it's like for me to have a spear in my heart when it comes to how I love my creation and my people that I so deeply love. And I still remain faithful to them even when they are faithless to me because I'm a covenant-keeping God. And so Hosea, he goes on this journey and he he goes out and he finds someone. He finds Goma. Now, the irony of this is that Goma, her, her name means complete. Her name means complete, but she is so incomplete. Uh, she is so broken. And isn't that something? Because sometimes God will speak some things over your life that you aren't yet. And he knows that you are going to be one day when his love comes and hits your spirit and transforms you and redeems you. So even if your life seems messy right now, just trust that God knows how this story is going to turn out in the end. And and her name was Goma, meaning complete, but she was like a woman with her walls broken down. She had no self-control at all. Her passions were out of control. She was so desperately needy. And if someone came to her and said, well, Goma, would you consider yourself easy? She would probably say, well, not so much easy as I'm the Old Testament bachelorette. 
you know, and, uh, and she ends up on an episode of Prophet Wants a Wife, and, uh, uh, you know, she's just, um, you know, high Tinder use and all that, and, uh, and so, <laughs> so Hosea, man, Hosea finds her, and whether it's through God, um, God's spirit in his heart, or, but he falls head over heels in love with Goma. He says, I'm going to love you. So they marry. Come into my house. There's a future for you. You will be complete. You're not incomplete. You're going to be complete. You've just never been loved yet. And yet the riddle of human life is that we never find a love that truly satisfies us because it doesn't work for Goma. doesn't satisfy her enough. And, and you can never give enough love to someone to satisfy them because Hosea poured his love into her, but, but it just didn't work out. That's why you need something more than your body and more than your soul. You need something with your spirit, uh, even when it comes to our relationships. And so he pours into her life, and, and immediately uh, she becomes unfaithful, as God predicted. I need you to experience the unfaithfulness. And so almost immediately, she starts running around with other men. Here is this prophet, holy man of God, who's married this woman, and straight away she starts running around. Now, uh, now you know things don't sort of work out well, because um, you know, she starts having babies, but the babies are different dads. Now, you know they're from different dads because at one point, one of the boys, he names the boys Lo Ami. One of the boys' name is Lo Ami, and Lo Ami in Hebrew means not mine. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be a good Bible name for your child? Uh, you know, oh, I'm into biblical names. I call him Lo Ami. And at the baby dedication, you go, I'd like to dedicate not mine to the Lord. You know, uh, awkward, um, wrong, wrong biblical baby name. And uh, uh, not mine, it, it, it wasn't his baby. She's unfaithful, hurting him, crushing him. Hosea 2 verse 5 says, their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She's running around. And she said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing, of wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. Did you hear what she's saying? I'm going to sell myself. I'm going to pimp myself out for food and drinks and clothing. I'm going to go running. I have a husband at home who deeply loves me and will provide everything for me, but I'm going to run around and pimp myself out to people who do not love me, who will never satisfy me, who will never fill the void in my heart, and I will continue to thirst cavernously to, to find something while I've got a husband who deeply loves me, who's faithful, that wants to provide everything, and I just run from that. Verse 8 says, she doesn't realize, this is, this is Hosea speaking, she doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal, which is idolatry, it's the concept of idolatry, having something else at the center. Now, we read this story and we're probably a little bit disconnected from it, from the ancient context. And so, you know, if I could try and modernize this story a little bit um, and have some creative license to to help us to understand what sort of thing could be going on here. What we find is Goma is so desperately needy, she's so desperately thirsty that she keeps just jumping into relationships. But her brokenness, she's like a, a bucket with a hole in it. She can just never, she can never contain any love. It just flows through her, but just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem, seem to satisfy her. And out of her brokenness, she just has a wave of brokenness that just continues into a place where she becomes completely bankrupt emotionally. 
Now, so to tell a modern story, it'd be something like this. You know, when she starts out and, and she decides to be unfaithful to her husband, she runs out and, and she finds lover number one. Now, lover number one, he, she, he just shows her a really nice time. This guy, he's a real player. He knows how to... Hey, baby, right? So he's really, he really knows how to treat the ladies. He's a real player. So he takes her out and it's kind of a, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a Richard Gere, Julia Roberts, kind of pretty woman kind of thing happening there. And, and so he's treating her fine. They go out to nice restaurants and, and uh, you know, he's got a nice car. He buys her beautiful dresses, takes her out, expensive wine, champagne. And, and, but at the end of the day, he's expecting a little something, something out of the relationship, right? So there's strings attached. Somewhere along the line, that relationship doesn't work out. Whether it's because of her broken thirst or his broken thirst, either way, it doesn't work out. So she goes to lover number two. Now, lover number two, I mean, he's not quite Richard Gere. I mean, uh, and they don't go out so much to the nice dress shops. Now, he sends her out to Kmart to buy some tracksuit pants, right? Something with a little bit of stretchy in it. And uh, she gets tracked, built for comfort, not for speed. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of just... Just, okay, I can settle for this in the relationship. So now I'm getting tracksuit pants. And rather than nice restaurants, it's kind of Big Macs and Slurpees. And, and now they're sort of just hanging out, hanging out, getting wasted at home, you know, and, and just taking it easy. But that doesn't even work out. That tends to, that starts falling apart. And, and so she bounces into relationship after relationship. And every step of the way, it gets worse and worse until she's at to, like, lover number five. She bounces into lover number five. And now she's not even going to Kmart anymore. Kmart would be the high life. Now she's going to, you know, op shops and getting what she can, diving into dumpsters and, and, and finding food from the dumpster. And now you know, she's with this guy and he's, he's rough with her. He abuses her, gets up in, his, up in her face and yells at her. And somewhere along the line, she's just learned to go, well, I probably deserve it. Every now and then he gets physical with her and hits her. And, and she goes, well, I did cause it probably, you know, uh, just, well, who else, who else is going to love a, love a girl like me now? And every step of the way, she, it's a step down one person after another, and she doesn't realize how much she's devaluing her own humanity. She's an image bearer of God. She's created with dignity, honor, and respect. And somewhere along the line, I don't know whether it's, who knows, whether it's like lover number 15. And when she gets to lover number 15, now lover, lover number 15, it's, all the, it's gone all the way down. Now lover, lover number 15 is this alcoholic, obese guy. He's got, the, he's got the stained singlet. He's got three teeth. His name is Skeeter, right? <laughs> Uh, his name is Skeeter, and if your name is Skeeter here tonight, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Skeeter. Look, and and and, and he uh, Skeeter lives in a caravan. You know, he when Skeeter talks, he needs subtitles, right? Because he goes, "We're gonna go out and get the boat, get into some gumball and shoot some gumball." And you're like, what was that? So, you know, and that's how Skeeter lives, right? Skeeter buys his wine by the four-liter cask, and, you know, and he's just kind of happy. He's got his Foxtel subscription, and he's got a sweet caravan, right? And, and that's how he lives. He hangs out at the pub. <laughs> hangs out at the pub. And, uh, but by this stage, Skeeter is pimping Gomer out for his next beer. She's out the back of the pub. She's smoking ice. She, uh, she's just degraded her life to such a degree that now she basically belongs to Skeeter and Skeeter just shares her around for his next beer. It gets so bad, she's so destitute that eventually she doesn't even own her life anymore. It's not her life. In the ancient world, in the actual story, what happens is she ends up getting to a point where it's so low, she's so broken that she gets sold into slavery. 
she becomes a slave. She, she doesn't have possession of herself anymore. There is no dignity. There's no honor. There's no respect for Goma. And that's the point where she's at her worst. And at that point, we pick up the story that says, uh, the part of the story which says how God says to him, start all over, love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with the latest boyfriend, your cheating wife, love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party. And he says, I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. She was in slavery. Other versions of scripture make it more specific. It says 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a portion of wine, which in the Old Testament was the price it cost to purchase a slave. Hosea bought her back from slavery. He says, from now on, you're living with me. So this is, this is what I imagine happening. At some point, uh, Hosea, you've got to understand that this whole time he's been providing for her. So at some point, Hosea comes down to the pub. He goes to the pub where Skeeter is, and Skeeter's there every day. He's easy to find. He walks into the pub and he goes, where's Skeeter? Is there a Skeeter here? And Skeeter turns around, smiles, his three teeth kind of dangle out. And, uh, and, Hosea, and he says to Hosea, well, who are you? And he goes, I'm Gomer's wife. The whole pub goes very quiet. Suddenly someone starts going, Jerry, 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 Jerry. Jerry Springer show, some of you are too young, uh, you know, and, and there's a fight about to happen and he's going, well, and, and Hosea just says to him, look, look, I just, I just, I, 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 she's not talking to me, I just so deeply love her, I've never stopped loving her. Hey, could you give her the clothing? Could you give her the silver? Could you give her the oil? She's not talking to me, I can't give it to her, but would you give it to her? Because, because that's, that's my common grace for her. I still care for her. I've never stopped loving her. And here's the thing, he walks out of there, Skeeter keeps it, it doesn't go to her, he doesn't get it. But, but, but she doesn't realise that the one that she rejects is actually the one that still cares for her, still loves her. And she gets to a point where she's sold into slavery. And so this is what would happen in the ancient world. So in the ancient world, they would go to the open market in the middle of the village and they would take their slaves there. And they would come out into the open market and there would be a slave block. A slave block in the middle of the plaza. Everyone gathers around at the plaza and we work out which slave is going to be sold today. And out comes Goma. Skeeter realizes, you know what, she's not much good to me anymore. I'm not getting much out of it. I've got one more payment left on the caravan and my Foxtel subscription's due. I'm going to sell Goma. So he takes Goma out and he brings it to the market. And this is what they do. They bring Goma through. And they'd say, get up there, girl. Get up there. Stand her up in the middle of the slave block, in the middle of the public plaza. At that point, they would strip her down in nakedness and shame. After all, we want to know what we're buying with our money. And you've got to put yourself in the story a little bit because in all of her shame and vulnerability as she stands upon that block, I'm sure she's thinking, who's going to love me now? Who's going to love me? What am I worth? Am I worth anything? So broken, so ashamed and incapable of being loved now. Who's going to love me now? And somewhere along the line, the bidding starts. And could you imagine the cruel humor and the degeneracy of that marketplace and, and, and the, the cruel joking as they scoff at her and they look at how broken she is and how used up she is. She's not really worth that much. 
And someone over there yells out, I'll give one silver. It's at least worth a silver. She's cringing. How did I get to this? So empty. And then a voice rings out above the crowd. I'll give five silver. Suddenly she realizes it's the voice of Hosea. What's he doing here? What's he doing here? In all of her shame, what's he doing here now? And someone yells out, wow, I'll give, I'll give eight silver. I'll give eight silver for her. I'll try that. Goes quiet. Hosea says, I'll give 12. She's uncertain and fearful. Where is my life going? What is going to happen? And how's this going to turn out? Someone else says, I'll give 13 silver and a bushel of barley. That's what I'll give for her. And finally, Hosea says, I'll give 15 silver, five bushels of barley, and this portion of wine. The sound of wine, Skeeter says, it's old. You got me. And suddenly, there on that block, Goma standing there helpless, feels the warm touch of a loving, loving husband. It says, all I ever want to do is bring you home. All I ever want to do is bring you home. And in her thoughts, she's thinking, what's he going to do to me now? Is he so angry at me? Is he going to make me pay? Is he going to, am I sexual currency for him? Is he going to just make me pay for the rest of my life? Am I going to be his slave now? And what she finds is she gets something she didn't expect. She gets the warm embrace of his incredible love. And suddenly she stepped down from that place and he covers her shame with his own garments. And he says, Goma, all I've ever wanted to do is bring you home. Goma, we're not for sharing. I've never given up on the covenant that I made when I told you that I loved you in sickness and in health till death do us part. I'm, I'm never going to give up on you. And, and, and lo am I, even though he's not mine, I'm going to love him like he's mine. I want you to come home because you will be complete. I have a great plan for you. And they bring, that kind of love transforms people's lives. That kind of love, you can't stay the same when you experience that kind of love. That kind of love is a transforming love. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the shocking story about this whole thing. Because in this biblical narrative, this biblical narrative, it's not just about a prophet who finds a wife. It's not just about a woman who is unfaithful. It's not just about cavernous thirst for love. It is far greater than that. It's a story about our greater Hosea. It's a story about Jesus. It's a story about God's plan to love you, rescue you, redeem you, reach you, care for you, love you. Because in this story, you and I are all in this story. Because you and I, we are all Gomez in this story. We all find our place here. Why? Because you and I, we have all gone out looking for love. We've all gone out looking for things and people to give us the love that only God could give us. Because you and I were created in the fiery forge of God's consuming love. And only God's love will, con will, will, will constantly and consistently satisfy your spirit. So you and I have gone to places trying to eke out of those things what only God can give. We keep turning to other lovers. We keep turning to other skeeters. We keep turning to all these things and they only end up breaking us because you're only ever as secure as the thing that's in the center. And as one prophet said, you're only ever going, you, you know, you, as one person said, that idols will eventually always crush the hearts of their worshippers. 
that thing you put in the middle and push God to the side, one day it's going to crush your heart. You and I are Goma because you and I have chased other things and gone after other things. Oh, look, let me take the focus off you. Matt Stevenson went running after so many things. Matt Stevenson looked for love in all the wrong places. Matt Stevenson looked to, to drugs as the thing that would satisfy his soul. Matt Stevenson threw himself into alcoholism because he was looking for, and all the way, I couldn't see my thirst for love was just ruining my life worse and worse. And yet what we find in the story of the gospel in the transforming love of God is that just as you are and we are, Goma, Jesus is our Hosea, who said, I've always looked after you. There's a common grace, even up to when I was 20 years old. He never took my breath. He still cared for me. Even when I rejected him, he still loved me. Even when I was breaking his heart. Even, even when I was an enemy of God, there was a common grace that he never gave up on me, never stopped pursuing me. And yet there was some, for him, he saw the mat that's complete while I was living incomplete, filling my soul with things that would never satisfy and in Jesus, our greater Hosea, what we find is that you and I belonged here. Get up there, girl. And in all of our shame, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to be up here. And yet what we find in Jesus is that he says, you don't need to be up there. And Jesus gets up there. And he takes on nakedness and shame and ridicule and mockery. And he takes on our sin and our brokenness and our shame. And what we find is that he gets up there so that we can come down from there. He gets up there so he could, he could clothe us in Christ Jesus. And if you ever experience the love of, of Jesus like that, it will transform your life forever. It's a transforming love that comes from God. And it's what your spirit, it's what your spirit so desperately thirsts for. Because what we find in the gospel is we find that our greatest needs are not something that we need to achieve. Our greatest need is simply something to receive. Uh, what did Goma do to pay the price? She couldn't pay the slave price. She didn't have anything at her disposal. That's why grace looks foolish on you. Grace looks foolish on all of us. Because it just doesn't, it seems like a waste. It's so undeserving. If we understood, if we were a friend of Hosea at those times, we wouldn't say, oh, you know, it's all going to work out. No, no, this is ridiculous. Are you serious? Are you going to take her back? Are you serious? Grace looks foolish on me. His grace looks foolish on me. 
It's not something that I achieve. I can't pay for it. He paid the slave price. And for us, that slave price was on the cross of Jesus Christ. His shed blood bought the price that would redeem me and set me free. It's not something that we achieve. It's something that we receive. It's not about what you must do. It's what Jesus has done for you. It's good news for a reason. It's good news because it's incredible news. It's good news because it's, it's news that says it is finished. It's over. Paid in full. Paid in full. It's finished. It's already done. There's no point in Goma trying to get back to the slave block and work her way back into acceptance with Hosea. No, it is finished. When you try and add to so great a love story, you only subtract from it. It is finished. The cross is far greater than my failure. The cross is where I'm so deeply loved that it transforms me from the inside out. Stand to your feet all over this place. Singers and musicians, why don't you come? It's a transforming love. And all over this place tonight, the love of God is here to take your hand All over this place tonight, there is a God who is alive, who is fiercely interested in you, in every detail of your life. You are loved by an all-knowing God. He knows everything about you. He knows everything in your history. He knows everything in your past. He knows everything in your present. He knows everything in your future. He knows the failure in your past. And you also got to know that he knows the failure in your future and he loves you anyway. That's an incredible love. We go looking for love in people and when they get to know us, they fall out of love with us because human love is fickle and frail. The love that you need can't come through your body. The love that you need can't come through your soul. The love that you're crying out for is a love that you need in your spirit. And tonight, all over this place, this is not a message simply for those who are not Christians or new Christians. The gospel is something we never graduate from. The gospel is our joy, our source of life, our source of worship. And all over this place, we all have an opportunity to respond. And maybe you're here tonight and you can recognize that there's some things that have come into the center. There's things that have have come in and occupied space that, that is spiritual space where God belongs. And the love of God is here tonight to take you by the hand and direct your future. You may feel incomplete, but in the hands of God, He completes everything that He starts. And all over this place, if you just want to respond in God, I want you to begin to lift your hands in this place. Begin to lift your hands in a posture of worship and just a, a posture of thanksgiving that says, thank you, Jesus, for your incredible transforming love in my life. God, I pray that you'd make more room in our hearts, more room in our lives for you. God, I pray that you would have your way in everything that we do tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks, Tony.
That was a great word. That was a lesson in preaching. It was a lesson in communicating. What a privileged people we are to be able to sit under such teaching. And we get to call him a friend. Along with Jonathan and Danny, Rick and Leonie, I feel very blessed. I feel very blessed indeed.